it's like we're 11 again. And you think, I don't want to be different. I want to be just like everybody else. You say, but you know what? When you're like everybody else, I can't see you. I can't notice you. I don't care because I can throw a dart into the crowd. It can hit anyone at all. So when I work with uh, corporations and individuals, I get them to tell a different story, a different story to everyone else in their industry, because then you're noticed. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, here's today's question If your website or online profile was a big red button, what would it say? Another weird question, I know, but just humor me. In those moments when we're most trying to make an impact, it's easy to not stop and think about what action we actually want people to take. We often get really caught up in our own bubble. You know, how how good does this piece of communication look? How good does it sound? How word perfect is it? How likely are people to pay attention to what I have to say? And we totally forget about the one thing that counts which is as a result of paying attention, what one action do we actually want people to take? You know, there's an old saying in the business world that I really didn't understand when I first got started. And that is no one ever got rich on awareness alone. And the same can be true about everything, right? No movement ever made a difference on awareness alone. No change ever got made on awareness alone. No president ever got elected on awareness alone. All those things happen through one thing and one thing alone, and that is figuring out the best, simplest, most effective way to get people to take action. And that takes laser focus thinking way before you ever take one step forward which is exactly what we're going to dive into today. My guest today is back for the second time on the podcast. I have to say out of all of the episodes, hers is probably one of the ones I still get people contacting me about. And there's a reason why, you know, I don't think that there is a person on the planet that knows as much or has as many victories under her belt as this woman when it comes to the arena of human attention. However, what most people don't know about her, and I'll get to her name in a minute, is that that is the least of it. Her real superpower is turning that attention into action, millions of actions every week to the tune of billions of dollars. Marion Farrelly built, created, and produced some of the most influential reality TV shows on the planet. Shows such as The X Factor, Big Brother, Celebrity Apprentice, Dancing with the Stars, Farmer Wants a Wife, I Won't Go On... Her content has been watched more than 8 billion times worldwide, and she's put more than 10,000 people on a global stage who were then watched by hundreds of millions of people. Every single show she has created has gone to number one, apart, and these are in her own words, from those that went to number two, and that was only because she had another show at number one. 
Maz has worked with everyone from Hollywood A-listers to astronauts, politicians to pop stars, cybersecurity specialists and CEOs. Having recognized one thing very early on in her career, and that is the people who are world-class, the people who are seen as charismatic, as utterly influential, all have one thing in common, the X factor. Now, before you roll your eyes at the words reality TV, I, I get it. I'll say the same thing that I said the first time that she came on the show. There is no more powerful case study in influence and human attention that I know of on the planet other than reality TV. In the UK, more young people voted in the final of Britain's Got Talent than voted in the most recent general election. Think about that for a second. As a content tool, it exists within and shapes more conversations than the news. As a force, it literally redefined the concept of celebrity and shaped an entire generation of attention spans. And it does that by persuading you to spend your own money to vote on the fate of a group of people that you don't even know in a situation that does not impact your life in the slightest. And it does that week after week after week in various different forms, to the tune of 8 billion interactions and counting. Now tell me there isn't something in that recipe that's worth finding out. In today's discussion, we do just that. We jump straight back in where we left off last time, diving into white noise, what creates it, where it comes from, and how the rules of cutting through have completely changed, and where to look now today for what's actually working. Figuring out your big red button, what that big red button needs to say before you say anything at all. Why you need to view every single piece of marketing through the same lens as a Netflix trailer. The most compelling of which always start with the words, this is the story of. Why compelling characters are the key to any epic story and a checklist for what makes a character we actually care about. Why we don't do business with people we like. We do business with people that we find fascinating. This one, this one distinction is huge. And if we're now living in an age where police are solving crimes through podcasts, people on death row are being released from jail because of documentaries, and an age where social media has the ability to start or stop a revolution, where exactly is all of this going? If you take one thing from this conversation, I would love it to be this. Forget awareness. We are aware of more things than we could ever possibly do anything about. We are so far past the information age where most of us have a hunger to be aware or educated in more things. Give me something to do, a simple action that means that I can make an impact on the challenge I'm facing or the change I want to make. Make it so easy that no matter what my beliefs about how powerful I am or how much time I have, I can do it. Give me, essentially, a big red button. Now, I've been in the world of impact and influence for a long time, and I can promise you I would take one small piece of action over a large amount of awareness any day of the week. A flicker of a flame I can build on, simply being aware that the candle exists, I can't do anything with that. If you are looking to take your journey and influence to the next level and anything you hear today ignites your flicker of a flame of curiosity, don't forget to jump onto my website or the show notes and download the brand new version of my ebook, The Influencer Code. It covers the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found hands down to be the most useful when it comes to rapidly increasing your own level of influence. 
Just pop in your email address and it will be in your inbox in the shake of a jiffy. Is that a thing? I don't even know. My newsletter, Influence Insider, also gives one bite-sized tool, strategy, or mindset shift per week, all on the topic of building a more influential life. Once again, hop onto my website, juliemasters.com, to become an insider. On that note, sit back, stride out, drive safe, and enjoy the epic force of nature that is one of my favorite humans on this earth, Maz Farrelly. Welcome back to the podcast, Maz Farrelly. I have been so looking forward to talking to you because you are one of the most interesting people I know. And whenever I listen to your podcast, I listen to it while I'm kind of doing something else. And then I find that I'm, I stop doing what I'm doing, which I think is uh, the sign of very good content. And as you know, I'm a very tough audience when it comes to content because that has been my jam for 745 years. Well, I would, and I am going to take that from you as possibly the highest compliment that the podcast and I could, could receive. And same right back at you, because I went to, before the second lockdown happened, I, I was at a speaking gig actually in Tasmania. And I think I texted you from there because I, I was talking to this tech company. One of the people who were running the event came, came up to me and I've known her for a little while. And she was like, I just, I just need to tell you that the conversation that you had with Maz Farrelly is now not just recommended listening for my team, but fundamentally, fundamentally forced. Very keen people being forced to listen to me. That is not very well. That's genius. Please force everyone. And she said, she said, I, I quote her more than anybody else. And so your insights, your experience has just resonated on from our first conversation. Hence why I've asked you back to see if we can delve a little bit deeper, not only into what you know, but also how your thinking has changed over the last kind of 18 months since we last spoke, because a lot's happened, right? We've been stuck at home. We've been, you know, the Netflix effect is live and well. What we've done is watch Netflix. The bar that we hold on storytelling is getting higher and higher. The amount of content resistance that we have, story resistance that we have is higher and higher because we do nothing but consume now all day, be it Zoom, be it anywhere else. So that's what I want to kind of pivot into today. Let's start out with probably the biggest thing that I hear back from other people when they come across your content and when they listen to you is this concept of white noise. So talk to me, what is white noise? So white noise at the moment, uh, so one of my favorite white noises at the moment is we're in unprecedented times. Now, what's that mean? Because when people say it to me, they go, do you know, these are unprecedented times. I say they are, aren't they? Can you talk me through the last time where you felt that you were in really precedented times? When was the last time you knew everything that was going on and you said, you know what, I have control over absolutely everything because I have lived constantly in unprecedented times because this is life. This is the way life works, that some days it's raining and I'm dressed in a summer dress. That's unprecedented for me. What am I going to do now? I'm going to have to just adapt. So I would say to anyone who's kind of feeling a bit like, oh, my God, you know, these are unprecedented times, uh, they all are. Uh, unless, of course, you believe in reincarnation and you've lived all of this before, in which case, congratulations. White noise is the stuff that people say that makes your brain go to sleep. So if you have, if you've ever taken a cruise back in the oldie days when we went on cruises, the sound of the engine 
at the beginning is quite loud and then it becomes white noise. You stop hearing it. The only time you notice is when something else happens and then you pay attention. It's the sound of a fan. If you want to get rid of the sound of traffic, you know, and you put on a fan and the fan, shh. In TV, it's the sound of shash. Shh. We call it white noise because your brain has absolutely no interest in it at all. Companies speak in white noise, I feel, for two reasons. One, because sometimes we go a bit lazy. And two, sometimes we're a little afraid. We're afraid of being different, like everyone else. It's like we're 11 again. And you think, I don't want to be different. I want to be just like everybody else. You say, but you know what? When you're like everybody else, I can't see you. I can't notice you. I don't care. Because I can throw a dart into the crowd. It can hit anyone at all. So when I work with uh, corporations and individuals, I get them to tell a different story, a different story to everyone else in their industry, because then you're noticed. And when I train people up to be on TV or on panels or, you know, in the boardroom or do a talk, I say, just be different to everyone else. Mel B is a beautiful example of this. And I did The X Factor with her. And everyone will say, you know, you're brilliant, you're brilliant, you're brilliant. And Mel B will be at the end and she'll say, I disagree, actually. I just disagree. I don't think you've got what it takes at the moment. And I'll tell you for why. And suddenly she'll tell you a story. And we're all like this. We can't wait to hear what Mel says. Because... She has never spoken in white noise. Simon Cowell doesn't speak in white noise. It's a bit, it's a bit scary sometimes. So you don't want to be Simon Cowell and you don't want to be Mel B, but you do want to be the person in your industry that is just a little bit more interesting. And you know those people, you go to a party and there'll be someone that's a bit more interesting uh, than everyone else. Uh, and you'll notice them and, you know, you'll get home and your partner will say, you know, who did you speak to? You go, oh, Julie, did you speak to me? You go, yeah, she was so interesting. And it's because you didn't say hi, what's your name, what do you do? What's at the core of that? Because there's so many pieces to that, right? There's um, there's authenticity, which isn't one of my favorite words, but there's the, you know, I'm just authentically me. I can't be anybody else other than authentically me. What's what's the flip there from that kind of authentic story, which is just me being me, which is no more interesting than anyone else being anyone else, and the intentionality that's needed to find something about you and turn up the volume on it. You being you is brilliant. You know, it's the old saying, you know, you can be you or you can be a poor version of someone else. So I don't want anyone to be anything other than what they are, because if you are what you are, then you're already not white noise. And people talk about being authentic. And I say to them, give me three examples of that, of you being really honest Give me three examples. And I train lots of new leaders and I say to them, I feel very qualified to talk to you about how to be a really good leader because when I started, I really wasn't. I was a really bad leader because actually I had no idea what I was doing. I was a plumber and suddenly uh, someone said, oh, by the way, you're going to be in charge of 400 plumbers. And you go, no, 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 no. What I do is I get under the sink and I meant to go, yes, but now you're going to be in charge of all those people. And you go, no, but what? And we do that with lots of leaders, I think, especially, you know, in TV and filmmaking. No, you're not trained. You're never trained. You just, you go and do stuff. And if you do it wrong, people shout at you, or in the old days they did. And you just get a little bit better at it. That's how it used to work. Uh, So I think that's quite honest. I'd say that's how, you know, I really did 
uh, make some very major mistakes is because nobody had told me how to be a leader. And I watched really good ones and I learned from them. And I didn't really want to be a leader. My boss made me a leader, made me uh, head of the show. And uh, probably about two or 300 staff, a lot of people. And yeah, I just looked at the people that I thought were really good. And I thought, I'm just going to copy what you're doing. I think that's I think that's honest and I like honesty more than authenticity. I think if you're quite honest, when we're vulnerable and honest, we connect with people an awful lot more than if we deliver the stock standards. And I don't mean if you're having a bad day and people say to you, how are you? You go, miserable, thanks. But I think, um, you know, you could say, today is a challenging day for me, actually. I'm normally pretty chipper, but today I'm not. I'm a bit sad today. But you know what? I'm sure I'll, I'll get through it. I mean, it's so much more interesting than actually saying, oh, it's great. So I think honesty. And I think also there's a, I always find there's a difference there between authentic and intentional, right? I kind of live in fear of that word authentic or when somebody says to me, you know, I'm incredible, just, just so you know, I'm very authentic. And there's always a part of me that goes, Oh God, because it can often be an, I say an excuse, but a place to hide behind when you bring the worst of yourself to something when you, you know, I'm really tired. So I'm just going to be really tired today. I'm just going to have really tired energy today. Or, you know, I'm really angry. So I'm just going to dump the full force of my emotions on somebody as opposed to, you know, you're calling it honesty. I'm calling it intentional. To be intentional is to show up and say, you know, I'm, as you said, I'm, I'm pretty tired today, but you know what? I'm here and I'm going to put everything I've got into this. So let's get on. You know, there's there's an intentionality to why you're there. Do you know what I think it is, Julie? It's, uh, you know, back in the old days when you were dating, because uh, I'm assuming, you know, that, now that you're actually not dating, and it's when people describe themselves as having uh, a really good sense of humour that you think, for me, I just think you have no sense of humour at all if you say you have a really good sense of humour. It's like when you go to a nudist speech, there's never anyone there you ever want to see in the nude. It's always people that you don't want to see in the nude. And uh, when people say they're authentic, that's the way I feel. A little part of my soul dies. And I think even saying it, it's one of those words. It is white noise. It's just white noise. And I think what it is for me is it's people who think a little bit more than everyone else. You do. So I asked you to send me just a general gist of the chat today, just to say, you know, tell me the topics you'd like to, you know, so I can get the old grey matter going. And you say, oh, it's just this kind of thing. And they're all really like what I call killer questions, killer questions. They're really interesting. You've thought about the dull stuff that everyone asks all the time. And then you said, none of that, thanks. I'm going to the next level. And what I want everyone to do is go next level. And in, I used to be a movie reviewer and I, one of my jobs and the best job in the world. And uh, my job was to interview movie stars, go and see movies, interview movie stars and uh, write about it. So just write a three minute script a week. I mean, it's the best job ever uh, on a show in the UK called The Big Breakfast, which you might know. And I had to interview movie stars like three a week, like properly really crazy famous people. And they loved the interviews that I did because they were different. So I wouldn't say to them, what was it like working with Demi Moore? Because what are they going to say? They're going to say, it was great. Tell me about doing your own stunts. You know, oh, 
isn't it more interesting to say, who got the movie first, you or Demi Moore? Do you have matching trailers? Do you hang out? The first day, the first time you meet, is it on set or do you go for dinner beforehand? How do you even get a script? Does someone send it to you? Do you have to ask for it? Does your agent read it first? When you read it, do you know if it's going to be a hit? How do you know? How do you decide a fee? Like, how do you decide how much you get paid for that? There's so much more interesting questions than saying to someone, what was it like working with Demi? Because you know the answer. If you can write the answer to the question before asking it, don't ask the question. And how do you feel today? Everyone will say, I'm nervous but excited. Everyone on earth. I think also, you know, just as someone that professionally has to come up with questions, there's for anyone out there who's wondering about questions because question the ability to be able to ask great questions is a lifelong journey, right? I mean, it's one of the most fundamental pivots of my life, learning how to ask great questions because the better your questions, the better the answers, the the, the stronger the momentum in your life because you get better quality information. So for me, it's one of the greatest skills you could ever commit yourself to. And when I'm sitting down for a podcast, the way that I look at questions, first of all, it's a three-phase process. Listen to me. Three, five. Anyone that knows me would laugh at this, that I'm this organized. However, it is a three-phase process. So the first phase is I sit down and I write out, what would be my, what are my questions right now about this topic? Not knowing much about this person and having not done any research. What are the obvious ones that I have? Second phase is I go deep into reading their stuff, looking at everything. And then I'm like, okay, what are my questions now? And those are normally very cerebral questions, like fact-based questions. Like I'll ask them about a quote that they've said, or, you know, they're kind of obvious questions if you've done your homework. And then the third phase of the question is how would that experience, how would that have thought, how would that realization have impacted them personally? And so those three phases are the way in which I come up with the questions. But you go further than that. So I would argue, Your Honour, that actually you have a fourth phase, which is this, which is what's in it for my audience? So you take it a little step further that you would say, I want to know what effect that had on you and how that can help me and my audience. And when you can take... So the hurdles, when you can jump that final hurdle, you're going to win the race because actually everything in life is about your audience. That's it. Everyone is just interested in how everything in life affects them. And the most used word, you know, this research uh, from, you know, the year dot when telephones first became telephones, that uh, the operators were asked to listen to conversations and do research and what's the most used word? It's I. If you looked at anyone's LinkedIn, it will either say I or Maz. I, Maz, I, Maz, I, Maz. Every sentence, every paragraph. And we all want to know what's in it for me. So when we are doing anything at all, you think, what's in it for your audience? What are they getting out of it? Because otherwise there's just no point. And sometimes it can just be simple entertainment or a laugh or information, news you can use. There's a really important flip there. I just want to draw attention to and me drawing attention to it, it demonstrates the point in and of itself. So the flip there is a flip from what I call uh, being a technician 
which is the, the holder of the information, which used to be the most powerful role on the planet. People with the most information made the most money, had the most power. The flip from that, which is the old school way of influence, the old world of influence to being a translator, the flip from technician, most information to translator, the person who can translate all the information for the people that they are there to serve. And it's if you can become a translator for your target market so that me as your audience, I don't have to go out there and read all the white papers. I don't have to watch all the videos. I don't have to keep up to date with the news. I don't have to keep my finger on the pulse. I can just come to you. You will translate that information for me into easy to digest bites using my language and that's it. You become my go-to. You become my go-to expert because I don't have the time or the bandwidth or the interest. Yes. I say I am a curator. So I'm given a thousand paintings and my job is to narrow it down to 10 that are fascinating for you that will provoke thought and have you stop in your steps and stare at it. And in the oldie days, when I used to make uh, lots of content for TV shows, I would say to my team, give me the 10 facts. And they give me 10 pages. And I'd say 10 pages, I can get my 99-year-old mother to do that. What I want you to do is take those 10 pages and chop off all the meat, or sorry, all the fat, and just give me the meat. Get rid of the bones, get rid of the fat, give me the meat. Give me the stuff that is going to shout into my brain. It's not the stuff that whispers at me. It's got to shout at me. And that's what I mean by white noise. Get rid of the fat and just give me the meat. Because when you give me the meat, I've got something I can bite on. And unless I can bite on it, I can't taste it. I can't feel it. It doesn't mean anything. So you're absolutely right. And I think the other level to that, so let's get really deep here, is you're the curator, but how do you deliver that exhibition in a way that is fascinating? How do you think about the placement of everything? And how do you make those ingredients taste like heaven? And that's the next level up that you can curate it. But if you have the best message in the world, and as I say to people, you might be great, but if you can't communicate, uh, I don't know. I don't know you're great. The next level is you have to tell me why I should listen to you and deliver it in a way that is very palatable to me. Make sure the plate's nice. Make sure it looks nice. Make sure it tastes nice. You've got to want them to eat up your food. How do you do that? And that's the next level of curation. So let's let's break this let's break this puppy down. Let's talk about this meat because what you're talking about there, give me the meat, is can be paraphrased as just cut through. Just give me the stuff that that cut through. So. Let's look at that. What, um, how do you cut through? How do you create stories, information, content that is going to cut through for your target market, whether you're a business, an individual, you're trying to start a movement, you're trying to get the attention of your team, make them change something. How do you do that? What are the fundamentals of it? Uh, the most important thing is you have to know your audience. So if you're selling meat pies to vegans, that's not going to work. Uh, I say to people sometimes, so you've got, you have to know your audience. What does a lovely roast chicken lunch, what does that make you feel like, Julie? You can smell it. And maybe there's a little hint of rosemary in there, maybe a little bit of garlic. And you know that the chicken is moist. 
What does that make you feel like? What does it make me feel? It makes me feel warm, cosy, home, family. What else? Give me some descriptors. Um, Cold outside the house, warm warm on the inside of the house. What else does it make me feel? A little bit kind of sleepy. Now that feels really good unless you're a chicken, in which case it's a horror movie. You have to know your audience. I saw someone sent me something this week that made me laugh so hard I can hardly tell you. And it was, uh, you might have seen it, it did the rounds of Facebook, and it was a meeting for the Flat Earth Society. And underneath it said, uh, we will be joined by members from across the globe. The Flat Earth Society, we will be joined by members across the globe. Now, what's wrong with that tagline, if you believe in a flat earth? So read it back slowly, everyone. If you are a flat earther, you don't believe there is a globe and you don't believe that there are... Can you see? It's such... It's bonkers, isn't it? It's so mad. And you think, know your audience. It's fine if you say the, you know, the World is Round Society will be joined by people from across the globe. You know, flat earthers will be joined by people from across the globe. You go, that is... I'm not turning up to that because I'm not absolutely sure you know your business terribly well. Uh, and you certainly haven't thought about your audience. <laughs> You're saying across the globe. It's genius. Uh, so in content, the first thing I do is I think, who is, who's going to watch this and what do they want and what are their problems and how do I solve them? And even things like, you know, I made Big Brother back at the very, 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 very beginning because I like to be an innovator and do stuff, you know, when it starts. And it's back in the old days when it was, you know, a sweet show and it was fun. And not that there's anything wrong with it now. It's um, it's great, but it's just, it was very innocent when I did it. And I remember saying to the other executive producer, why are we here? You know, I thought that I would be making heart-hitting documentaries about politics and starvation and education, and I find myself sitting in an office on the Gold Coast making Big Brother. I'm just not quite sure how my career took a left turn into here. And he said, okay, I'll tell you who we make this for and why we do it. Uh, There are nurses and young doctors and teachers who do it a bit hard during the day, and what they need at night is a distraction and a catch-up with friends And something kind of comforting and a bit funny and a bit entertaining. And that's why we make it. We make it so those people can switch off at the end of the day and have a bit of a laugh, actually. That's why. And I think when you know your audience, your clients, your board, your shareholders, your stakeholders, and you think about them, it works. So that's why I had the ability to make Big Brother and they were in incredibly high rating, and then do a YouTuber tour, the first big YouTuber tour in Australia, and we broke Twitter because we understood 13-year-old girls, and then create Q&A, which is the exact opposite of both of them. Because each time, I don't think about me, because if I only made TV and content and films that I wanted to actually watch myself, I would have had an extraordinarily short career. So I would think about my audience. And I think it's something that corporates and certainly leaders uh, forget sometimes. They're on transmit and they're not looking at the audience and thinking, are you a chicken? Are you a vegetarian? Are you a flat earther? Because whoever it is, you change your pitch and you change your information to suit those people. And a big part of that, I think, is understanding the language. of your. I mean, it's one thing to know who your target market is. 
it's another thing to understand deeply what they call the, the charismatic language of that target market, the language they use to talk about what you do when you are not in the room or about this topic when you are not in the room. And that takes getting forensic. About, like, that's a commitment that you make. But it's, it's kind of your job. You know, it's like I say to leaders, it's your job to love your team. It's actually part of your job to love them because when you love them, you treat them differently. Before I do a talk, uh, and my neighbours must think I'm absolutely bonkers, I suspect they do. Uh, before I do a talk and I switch on this you know, beautiful camera here, I say to my screen, I love you and I want to give you everything I possibly can Anything that I can share with you that's going to make you a little bit more successful, this is the love I want to give you. And I respect you and I love you and I'm going to give you everything I can. And when I say that to the screen, I cannot wait to share everything that I have in my head with those people. And I think when you do that with your audience or with your teams, that's you know, again when genius happens, that if you love your audience – and I'm never cynical. Lots of TV people go, oh, the audience is stupid. And I say, we're the audience. I watch TV. I'm the audience. You know, we are the audience. Don't be cynical about your audience. They pay your wages. You know, and really good stars uh, understand that. And they will sign a million autographs and they will take a million pictures and they will be charming a million times when they don't really feel like it because they understand it's part of their job. And they'll do a million interviews with Grace and – I see other people and I think you're not going to last long because the people that are giving you their money and supporting you and making you a person of influence, you don't love them and you have to love them. You have to love them. You have to love your staff. You have to love your clients. You have to love them. And if you don't start loving them right now or choose a different audience. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a practicality to that. This audience isn't for you. This is not, it's not going to, if it's not for you, you're slightly disengaged. You lack a certain curiosity, like a hunger that you get when you really feel deeply connected to the conversation that you're driving or the job that you're doing or the team that you're leading. Like not only is it a disservice to them, but it's a disservice to you. Like go find the thing. That you love. You have to. And that's back to honesty again, that if you are pretending audiences. So I talk about audiences as everyone, but I, you know, so audiences are clients or teams. Audiences understand really well. And in TV, you can watch something and you'll understand if someone is lying, it will make you feel a certain way. And if it's cut in a certain way that isn't true, you'll feel it. It's unlikely that you can articulate it to me the way another producer would, but you know it. You absolutely know it. And clients and staff and everyone can feel it from you. When you're using words, if they're not honest words, they're going to feel it and they're going to know. So you want to be as honest as you can, I think, as often as you can. I want to. I want to just change direction for a second. I want to come back around to to storytelling, because you know this is your talking of jams. This is your jam, amongst many other jams that you have. Um, I watched a, a TED interview with Shonda Rhimes recently, who you know, in my opinion, is one of the most dangerous storytelling weapons on the planet right now. As in. 
if any presidential candidate got their hands on Shonda Rhimes and somehow convinced her to run their presidential campaign, they would just shoo in, may as well not even hold the elections. Now, for those of you who don't know who Shonda Rhimes is, she's um, owner of Shondaland, behind Bridgerton, Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, just one of the most forward-thinking, compelling storytellers on the planet right now. Anyway, they were asking her about the future of storytelling. And she said that the future of storytelling for her or the reality of storytelling for her is nothing to do with plot. She was saying when people come and they pitch her a plot, she's like, you know, go away, go away, come back. I've got no interest in your plot. What I want are good characters. What I want are characters that are flawed and interesting and conflicted and that I can care about deeply. Show me the characters. I know. And that that really struck me because I've been noticing that a lot in the world of influence, been noticing that a lot in the world of advertising and world of content in terms of what gets cut through, what gets cut through. And that is characters. Highlight the characters within your organization, the deep thinkers, the the innovators, the, the passionate ones, the ones who are on the floor doing it about what they're excited about, what they're working on. Show me the characters and you're one of the world's leading experts in this arena in terms of developing, picking and developing characters. What makes characters that we care about or that we can care about? It really is one word and it's interesting. Interesting people do interesting things and they have interesting conversations. And I have cast, I have set through something like we added it up one day. We stopped at 12,000 because I think we went and said, you know, we should go and have lunch. Uh, we stopped at 12,000. I've done 12,000 interviews, 12,000 times. People have entered a room and wanted me to put them on television. And the people that got through are interesting. That's it. And I would say p- people would cast for plot. So inexperienced producers will cast for plot. They'll say, you've got this amazing story. I say, no, but what are they like? Because here's the thing. They may never tell that story. We could put them on the show. They may never tell that story. But if they're angry or jolly or they just are really driven to be uh, loud and noticed, or if they are very considered, then you know that you will have an interesting show. If you invite interesting friends for dinner, what will the conversation be? It'll be interesting. It's impossible for it not to be. And it doesn't matter whether you say, do you know what we're having today? We're having foie gras and we're having whatever it is and uh, we're going to release doves and blah, blah, blah. Fine. But actually, if you have really interesting people at your dinner party, at the table, around the boardroom, in your meetings, if you are the interesting CEO, if you're the interesting leader, guess what? People are interested in you. And it is the thing I say, which is my mantra, it is not my job to be interested in you. It is your job to be interesting. And we do business with people who are interesting. When you're working with with leaders, when you're working, I mean, you've worked with some fascinating people all over the world. And I know that is your mantra. It's not our job to be interested in you. It's your job to be interesting. Let's get practical about that. How do you start dialing up the notch? Is dialing up a notch a thing? I don't know. Notching up, dialing up. I'll just combine the two on their interesting factor. If I'm sat here and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn myself up. I'm going to become more interesting. Where do you start? Uh, it's one word and it is curiosity. I'm really interested in people. I really am. So what 
I want to do is I will look at your face, but then what I want to do is I want to open that face and I want to go into your brain. And then when I'm in your brain, I want to go down into your soul. I want to really know about you. And I think when we're curious, then when you ask yourself a ton of questions, you'll get to the truth of it. And I may have said this to you before, but it's a story we did on The X Factor. And one of my team would just ask very base level white noise questions. How are you feeling today? And as I said to you before, everyone will say these words, I'm nervous, but excited. Everybody says it. So I was with them and um, I said, that is either the end of a story or the start of a fascinating one. They said, Jim, what do you mean? It's okay. So this is what we're going to do. Why are you nervous but excited? They went, well, I've never, I've never actually sung in public before. Great. Why not? So just, I'm curious. Well, my parents want me to study to be a lawyer. Okay. Why? Well, my mum's a lawyer. My dad's a lawyer. My uncle's a lawyer. Everyone's a lawyer. Come from lawyering families. None of us are singers. They would take it very badly. Okay. Right. Are they here today? Yes. Oh, okay. Curious. Do they know you're here? No. Right. Where are they? They're out in the crowd. You see the lady in the red and the guy in the black. Yeah, my parents. Great. So I said to the producer, go and get a camera, go and have a chat with them. What do you want me to ask them? They said, parallel questions. Hi. You know, we're just taking shots of the audience, just talking to people. How come you're here today? Oh, our kid got his tickets. Right, okay. What's your kid do? Kid's a lawyer. Not a singer? No. How would you feel if your kid was a singer? <laughs> no. Come on, we're all a lawyering family. Can your kids sing? No. Are they here today? No, they're at work. Okay, well, look, we're just going to take shots of the audience. Are you happy with us just keeping the camera on you? Yeah, sure. Kid walks on stage. Parents, doesn't matter whether the kid's a great singer or not because the story is so interesting. If they're brilliant, fantastic. If they're not, also a great story. But if you're not curious and you don't ask the second question and the third question and the fourth question – And you want to actually understand what that person is saying because they're talking in white noise. You will eventually reach a stage where they stop talking in white noise. And if you're curious enough, you will find something fascinating about everybody. So what in your past makes you different? What experiences have you had that influence what you do now? Uh, What did you learn from it? What quirky stuff have you done in the past? What are your greatest skills? So people say, I've worked for some of the biggest brands in the world. Yeah, right. White noise. Who have you worked for? They say, well, I worked for Coca-Cola when we launched Coke Light. Yeah, brilliant. Tell me that. Tell me the sales. Tell me how you grew it. You know, I worked for Coca-Cola and we launched Coke Light and it went from zero to 80% of the market in three weeks, which has never happened before in the history of soft drinks or whatever it is. And all it takes is about five seconds to take that white noise and make it multicolor, technicolor, loud. How do you add a little bit of story to the facts? Because facts are facts and we don't remember them. Stories we remember forever. But it's occurring to me that that, that exact process that you're, that you're describing there is the exact process that we can go on ourselves when it comes to telling our own story. So that kind of diving deep into the why did I do that? What was interesting about that? What happened that was unexpected about that? Like, 
again, it goes back to the beginnings of our conversation here. It's the getting really elegant and interesting with your questions, the deeper level of question, the deeper level of question, deeper level of question. And if you can do it, do that for yourself or get somebody as an you know, incredible of you, I'm pretty sure that the majority of us can't afford you, um, get somebody else to ask you those questions. I worked with um, someone recently, uh, a TV producer. She owns her own company, so she's very senior level. And... When she, I said, you know, said, tell me when you go to meetings or you're on the Zoom, how you describe yourself. And I, I can't actually remember. And I said, say it to me three times because I can't remember any of it. It was so boring. She's a storyteller uh, for a living. And we got to a point where she's so fascinating. And we managed to get to a point where she said, so when people say to you, you know, what you do, you say, well, look, if it wasn't for television, I wouldn't be here because my father was a reporter for the ABC and my mother was a researcher for the ABC. He needed a story research. He met my mother. They fell in love. TV has given me life. I said, that's all of that tells me that you've been around TV all your life. How amazing that you know so much about TV. And then we added layers to it because uh, she started off saying, you know, I run a company and we make content uh, that people like to watch. And I was like, oh, good Lord. Good gracious, you know, I, I'm struggling to remember anything you've said at all. Uh, and there were other really amazing things. Her brothers both worked in television. Amazing. Uh, she'd applied for work experience from her brother. And uh, she didn't tell him that she was applying. And he said, you could have just asked me at home. She said, no, 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 I want to go through the correct, you know, you know the correct way of doing it. She has had the most fascinating career. She wasn't telling me. So... When she uses white noise, I don't care about her. When she started to tell a story, I really cared because when we hear great stories, our brains kick in and they want more and they're interested and our brains are hungry. They want interesting stuff. Again, just as you're talking there, I mean, firstly, one of the major things I got from that is start with story, right? Start with, don't start with facts. Don't start with information. Don't start with background. Don't start with white noise, as we've said. Start with story. Start with a story that I would want to retell with my husband, partner, family over the dinner table tonight. That is that interesting that I would retell it over the dinner table tonight. Start there. The other thing that I that I got there is that this difference between interesting and likable and how much effort we go to as brands and individuals to be likable. You know, there's even this, this likability factors, actual gradings for how likable we are. And you made this amazing point that, you know, we don't buy from necessarily brands or people that we like. We buy from brands and people that we find interesting. Why is that? Let's just start there. Why is that? So I would ask you this question. Do you share stuff? So why do you share? It's about you. You share because when you share interesting stuff, you're interesting. I mean, so basic. I share stuff that I think is really funny, that I think is really interesting, because it reflects really well on me, if I'm absolutely honest about it. Now, I can say to you, it's all about sharing. I really want to influence everyone. I want to help people in their careers. I absolutely, absolutely do. But there is a small part of me that is the gift giver. That I think I really want you to enjoy this gift, but there is a part of me that really enjoys giving it to you. So it's, it is about you, but there's a little bit of me in there as well that I want to see your face, you know, and that reflects on me because I'm giving you a gift that you really like. And that means that I'm clever and I'm generous and I'm lovely. And that's why we share stuff. We talk about people 
who are fascinating and interesting and we share interesting information because it reflects well on us. You've said, I've got a quote from you here and it said, the old days of traditional advertising are over. Now I could have literally done a handstand and um, various cartwheels if I had the ability to do so. When I read that, because although I'm not from an advertising background, I am from a communications and influence background. And for me, the the entire structure of how advertising works is outdated at the moment. I can I can wax lyrical about why I think that that is true, but I want you to you to tell me why is why is traditional advertising over? The more money you have, the fewer ads you see and hear. It's broken, and I have lots of friends who work in advertising, and they are extraordinary. They are super 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 talented, but they are on a sinking ship. Nobody knows how to throw the lifelines. They don't know what those lifelines are anymore. And we're plodding along. And I say to my lovely pals who work in advertising, if advertising really worked, why do we spool through them? Why don't we spool through my shows to get to the advertising? But we don't. So I'm very interested in noise at the moment. And I'll give you an example of something I did recently that I think was actually uh, quite clever. <laughs> it's a funny thing to say about yourself. I like to do something clever every 35 years, and it was this year. And I came up with a dating show, and it's like Bridgerton meets Big Brother with a bit of bling empire chucked in. So it's a dating show for uh, rich people because it's actually quite difficult to find love if you're super rich. Because A, who do you date? You can't, you know, if you date someone poor, are you thinking they're after me for my money? Do you have time? You know, your parents are thinking, is this person after the, there's so many different things that are quite difficult about dating someone who's very, very rich and being very, very rich. And who do you date? So uh, we put these very, very rich people in a house and I thought, okay, that's not enough. I need something to create some noise around this because what I wanted to happen, Julie, is I didn't want to sell the idea. I thought about it very carefully. I thought, I don't want to sell this. What I really want to happen in my soul is I want someone to buy it. I don't want to take it to market. I want someone to come to me and buy it. And then if they do that, I've saved myself two months work. So how do I get that to happen? Now, another dating show in the marketplace is white noise, really, unless I can make it different and interesting. So I thought, okay, if they're in a house and it's Bridgerton meets Big Brother meets Bling Empire, I probably need a butler. So who can I get? So, okay, I'll see if I can get Paul Burrell because Paul Burrell is the Queen's butler and Princess Diana's butler, and he is the most famous butler on earth. So luckily I had spoken to Paul a few years ago and I sent him an email. I said, you won't remember me, but uh, we were talking about you being on X show. And he wrote back to me, said, I do remember you. We talked for hours and we did. He's such an interesting, charming, lovely, clever man. I really, really liked him. We talked for ages. And he said, I remember you. Yes, of course. Uh, I'm really interested. Send me the brief. So I sent it to him. He said, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. So then I thought, okay, so this is going to create a bit of noise for me. And I said, are you okay if I create a press release that says Paul Burrell has come out of retirement. He said he would never be a butler again, but he's donning the white gloves and the black jacket to be on this dating show uh, in the UK called Money Can't Buy Me Love. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm up for that. So I asked uh, an ex-journalist who used to work for The Sun to write me a press release to send to The Sun because know your audience. I, you know, I'm good with audiences. She's better. 
she's a specialist because she used to work there. So she knows exactly what they're looking for. So, you know, employ a specialist if you're not a specialist. Uh, And she wrote a press release. It was picked up by The Sun Online. Uh, 30 million uh, subscribers to The Sun Online. It was then picked up by the Daily Mail. It was then picked up by the Indian Times, the Irish Times. It went to every local paper in the UK, went around the world in like a day. And the biggest production company in the world contacted me and said, is this your show? I said, yes. They went, brilliant. Uh, Where are you with the pitching process? I said, I haven't pitched it yet. They went, you haven't pitched it? And it's already been around the world and gotten all this press. I said, yes. Imagine what it's going to be like when it goes to air. Imagine. They went, right, we'd like it. Great. I haven't spoken to anyone else. And this week we're signing the contract. So I was very strategic about it. I thought, what do I really honestly, genuinely, really honestly want? What is my absolute goal? And my goal was to sell the show with very little effort is what I really wanted because I'm very, 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 very busy. And I wanted to think, I want you to think, how can I get this to happen? And I say to people all the time, hope is not strategy. You have to have a strategy for it. You have to sit down and think about it and then think again. And then not just look at the face, climb into the brain and then delve into the soul. And I went down to the soul and I thought, this is what I really want. I want this show to be bought uh, by someone who will sell it around the world for me uh, with very little effort. And it's going to take a little bit of effort to do that. And I need to think a little bit smarter than everyone else. And, you know, my other big thing, as well as white noise, is thinking differently. How do I help companies think differently about everything they do? So I thought differently about it. And I got a sale with no effort or very little effort. How do you create noise around what it is you want to happen so that it happens for you? I would say that to sell something with no effort is pretty much the fundamental dream slash goal of every brand on the planet. There's so much There's so much you did there that was smart, but one thing I want to just underline is the getting of a Sun journalist to write the press release for the Sun. Now, I've done that before in my own business. If I want to get featured in a particular magazine, I find someone who's written for that magazine and ask them to ghostwrite or help me write the article because it's going to use the exact language and hooks and phrases that they know is going to work for the magazine. So that is just a trick and a tool and a hack that anybody listening can take on. But there's also something else that happens there when you're just, as you said, you're just digging, digging one level deeper. What do I want? I want that. Okay. What would create that? Okay. It would be this. How would I do that? Who's the most, who do I need to talk to that would give me the best possible chance of making that happen? Yeah. It's very deep thinking. So I went, I delved into about 20 brains and the real brain that I wanted to delve into was the person who'd made the decision about buying the show. And I thought, what do they want? They want something they can sell very easily. That's what they want. So if they have a show that already has publicity before a contract has been signed, that is a show that's going to work. If people are interested in it already, before a frame of it has been shot, before any of us have even signed a contract, Imagine the audience that that will bring. Her problem is I want an audience. I want a quick sale. I want to be able to sell this around the world. How do I make sure she feels very safe buying my show? Because there is an audience for it. It's an audience around the world and it will sell. So it's, it sounds so simple, 
And it kind of is. And that's why I go and talk to companies and corporations and organizations and I say, what is it you want to happen? Because that's the thing you have to get to happen. And it sounds very obvious and it is, but it's something that people do not do. They just don't think about it. They are selling meat pies to vegans. (laughs) It's simple, but it's not easy, right? Like all of the hardest things in the world. Simple, but not easy. One of the skills that you and I have, uh, and I flatter myself here, is that we can make very complicated things simple. And it's very difficult to do. Anyone can make something complicated, That's not a skill. But if you can make something that is intrinsically extremely complicated into something very simple, it's an extraordinary gift. It's not a gift. It's learned behavior. It's something that we have worked very hard at for a very long time. And that's one of the things I teach companies that I share with companies. You want this to happen. How do we make sure this happens? You can't hope it happens. I think you get good at it for a variety of reasons. Number one, when you when you when you've got skin in the game, when your ass is in the fire, you know you have to get good at it, and you learn and iterate and as you go. The other way that I have learned to get good at it, and as a tool that I want to offer out there, is I've learned to I've learned what I call the one thing. So if I'm working with somebody who's doing a presentation that they've got to do in front of thousands of people or somebody who's pitching or, you know, a group of influencers who are trying to get a movement to, to go across the world, usually always start with what I call the one thing. And the one thing is a way of focusing your thinking. And the one thing goes like this. What is the one thing that you want people to either do, believe, or feel differently as a result of listening to what you're about to say or watching this piece of content than they did when you started? What's the one thing you want people to do, feel, believe differently? Figure that out, summarize it in one sentence, and all roads need to lead to Rome from then on in. Every strategy, everything you say needs all roads lead to Rome. When I uh, I do a lot of work with people on goal setting, because I did, I had a moment where I had this sort of realization, which is a really odd thing to think about yourself. But I thought every show I've made, apart from one, has been number one. It's always won the time slot. It's always one. It hasn't come second. The only time I had a show come second is when I had my first show was number one, and that was The X Factor. And then The Farm Wants a Wife or The Celebrity Apprentice was on the other network. So I had first and second, which my friends thought was really funny. Kind of go, oh, my God, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, not just number one. You're number one and number two at the moment. And I started to think about it, and I thought, I am qualified to speak about goal setting because, actually, I did exactly what you say. But I did it slightly differently. I would say, what is the one thing? What is our one thing. And it's always this. And I put it on the wall in every room on the show, everywhere. And I write down, we are the number one show. Now it's very simple. When I work, so I go in, I do lots of work with uh, companies and I say, what's your thing on the wall? What's your mission statement? What's, what's, you know, we are the best selling vacuum cleaner. We are the most downloaded app. We are the most popular chili sauce. Because if you don't know what you want, it's very difficult 
to get it. You can't go into the supermarket and say, what I'd like is I'd like, you know, one of those things that's really kind of tasty. They go, well, crisps? Go, no, 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 no. It's um, it's not crisps. Uh, it's well, biscuits. You got to go, no, if you go in, you say, I want the really hot chili sauce, hottest you have, please. You know, I, I can help you there. Yes, absolutely. What is it that you want to be? Very, very rarely do companies have these conversations. So I would say to my team, we are the number one show. How do we get there? We are more interesting. We ask more interesting questions. We ask more questions. We ask different questions. We find more talented people. We have really amazing talents or really bad talents. So you can kind of go, you're not there, but the bad ones make the good ones look even better. You know, sweet, savory. You know, if you have all sweet, you can stop tasting the sweet. You need a little bit of savory. You go, oh, God, that's sweet. You know, you need something. What is it that is your one thing? Because if you have your one thing that you want, Every single thing, as you say, Julie, everything goes through the prism of that one thing. We are the number one show. Q&A is still going. I'm very, very proud of this. I think it's been going for about 10 years now. I'm very proud of the fact that some very difficult questions have been asked. And also, it's employed an awful lot of people for a long time. And it was different. It was different. How do I get people to want to watch characters? I make it different. I make it more interesting. I make it a bit argumentative, make it funny. It has the ability to be different every single week. It's really clever when you think about it. I don't think we realized we were being as clever as we were being at the time. Uh, But now I look back and I go, of course, it's because I'm a genius. Uh, But what is it that you want? And when you know what you want, you can make sure it happens. I wanted to sell the idea without really making an effort. I wanted the biggest TV company in the world to buy it and then on sell it to all of their territories. But hope is not a strategy. I have to make them want to do it. How do I do that? How do I think about my audience? How do I really think about them? And how do I make what their fear is go away? And how do I make my dish the one that everyone wants to eat. And it takes a bit of thought. So I want to loop back for a second about the the old days of traditional advertising are over. You know, we've 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 touched on that very gently. I if I look at if I look at the span of my career and the the projects that I've worked on, the companies that, that I have worked with, there are probably three things that have stood out for me as being the most fundamental areas of change for advertising, communication influence in general. And those three things are number one. So the old age of influence, the old rules, and I went to uni, studied marketing, you could pretty much distill every strategy down to three things. Number one, you need to outspend your competitors. Just chuck more money at it than anybody else. Number two, you need to outshout everybody else in the room. Just get louder, turn the ad up louder, be bigger, loud. It's like the gorilla effect, just get bigger and louder. And then number three, out interrupt. Just interrupt your target market as frequently as you can. And eventually they'll either buy from you or buy into you. Now, if that's the old rules, then what's the what's the new rules? What's the new set of strategies they're going to be teaching at universities a year from now, five years from now? I won't even go to 10 years, who knows? If it were me, if I owned education and you know, maybe one day I will, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. I'll put in a bid for it. Uh I I think what I would do is I would bring it back very simply to 
story, which sounds like such a crazy thing to say, but when you, when you tell a story really, really well, people listen. So every business for me is a Netflix ad. That's it. You are a Netflix ad. Your business is a Netflix ad. So how do you choose what you watch? And we touched on it. You're saying it's the time of Netflix. How do you choose what you watch on Netflix, Binge, Stan, other providers are available? How do you choose it? The trailer. You watch the yeah. trailer. Two, two ways. One, you watch the trailer, you read the paragraph or someone recommends it. And that's what we do with absolutely every single thing in life. You know, I do it constantly. I say to my pals, I'm looking for a vitamin C cream. And someone will say, I did a load of research into it. Do this. It's the curation that we talked about earlier. So we all watch, uh, you know, we watch Queen's Gambit. I watched the Queen's Gambit because someone said to me, watch the Queen's Gambit. That's why I watched it. Watch the crown. Uh, so I'll watch the crown. Mayor of East Town. You know, whatever it is I'm watching, someone just said to me, watch it. It's really good. In business, do business with these people. They're really good. Or you go to their website and if they're Netflix ad, which is the first paragraph, if it is engaging enough, I will do business with them. So I run, a, I do uh, workshops and also keynotes, which is why your business is a Netflix ad. Because it is. If that Netflix ad is not interesting, I'm gone. The hardest thing you ever write on a TV show is what the show is. And we used to call it the Radio Times or TV Times listing. And back in the UK, there were two magazines that you bought and it would have pick of the day. And you hoped that you were pick of the day. If you were pick of the day, someone has curated you and said you're the best. See previous. Uh, but also that paragraph was everything. And you would sit there sweating bullets as you wrote that paragraph, it was the most important paragraph. So $17 million, $20 million depended on that paragraph. And it's the same with your business. If it wasn't compelling, you would not watch my show. And that's $20 million down the drain. It's much more than that because when we sell all the advertising and sponsorship, that's maybe $90 million for a network. Maybe if you do it properly. So 90 words, each one's worth a million. You choose them very carefully. And it's the same for your business. People think that business and show business are very different. And it's not. It's all the same. You want clients, you want audience, and you have to get them to want to do what you want to do. See previous. How do you do it? You give them something that is so engaging. And my favorite uh, one recently, uh, was well, not recently at all, but it's still stuck with me because it's so good, was the Tiger King. And they could have written something like, this is the story of a redneck guy who's a country and Western singer, uh, married to two guys and uh, is fighting with a big cat owner. And you kind of moderately interesting. But they wrote something like, this is the story of two people who want to save big cats and kill each other. Now, isn't that amazing? That sentence, you go, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. I'll watch it. No white noise. Each word has been chosen so beautifully. Each word's worth, to them, probably 10 million viewers, each of those words. By the time you think about the number of people would have watched The Tiger King. And we talked earlier about creating noise. If you owned, say your business was chess books and chess boards and chess sets, if you wanted to create noise around your business, would you 
create an ad or would you create the Queen's Gambit? You'd create the Queen's Gambit if you were a thinker. Sales of books on chess went up what percent do you think? 600. 600%. Yeah. So if you want to create a business, you have to really think differently about how to create your business, how to get people to do what you'd like them to do, which is purchase chessboards. You can stand on the corner and go, buy a chessboard, buy a chessboard, please buy a chessboard, come on, buy a chessboard. Or you can sit with your team and say, right, that's that's strategy. It's not going to work. What do we do? And someone said, well, why don't we try and create a buzz around chess? Okay, how do we do that? How about if we showed the intricacies and the amazingness and the backstory and these amazing characters who practice all their lives, by the way, all their lives to become masters at this? And how about if we told it from the point of view of a girl who isn't a hero and how about if we made it really stylish? And how about if we, you know, yeah, 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 tick, 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 tick. And isn't she a great character? Because you don't like her very much, but you love her. She's complex. And that story is an amazing story. And sales of books on chess, you know, up 600%. So you can either sit there saying, should we take out an ad? Or you can sit around and go, okay, get your brains out. And really, let's work them. And that's what I do with companies because sometimes they forget to do it. You don't. You're there. And it's extremely unusual. Uh, It's extremely unusual because most people stop thinking about 30 or 40%. But if you want to be the number one show, the number one business, you keep thinking up to about 92%. And they're the companies that are the Apples and the Ubers and the, you know, Betty's Burgers and the, you know, Canvas. They're the ones that have really sat down and thought about it. I'm just thinking how powerful that sentence is, though. This is the story about, I mean, how even just sitting down with your team or if you're solo sitting down by yourself, just even starting with that, put that on a whiteboard. This is a story about, and then look at that. Would that be a show that you would watch? Yeah. Are you a Netflix ad I would click on? Is your business a Netflix ad that I would pass or click on? And if I pass, then you have to work on that because your website is, my friend Lucian James is a coach and he coaches uh, very, very, very famous people. Uh, and every now and then uh, he'll say, call me and tell me what's going on. So he coaches me, but he says he isn't being absolutely 100% is, but he's just doing it uh, in a very charming, 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 charming kind of way. And he said something that was so profound to me and so simple and so obvious that I felt really embarrassed at hearing it and not having thought of it beforehand. I thought, oh my God, it's like communications 101. He said, uh, Every website is one big red button. What's the button say? He said, it says, buy me. That's all it does. Every single thing, if you're in business, every single thing you do is a big red button that says, buy me. And we get really complicated and we have websites that are 30 pages long and read all my testimonials and here's some more stuff and here's a few recipes and here's pictures of me as a child and look at my Veruca. We're not helping. Essentially, all you want to do is say, these are your problems. I can solve them. Would you like to buy me? 
and it's very clean and it's very honest and it's very straightforward. And I look at people's websites that do it for a living and so many of them cannot tell me what they do. I go, I just actually don't know what your business is. And there is nothing on the top half of your front page, you know, above the fold that makes me want to do business with you. I don't care. What are you offering me that I can't get from anybody else? Why should I do business with you? And it is essentially a big red button that says buy me. And very few people understand that. Every single thing you do, this podcast is essentially a big red button that says buy me. Your website is a big red button that says buy me. Every conference you go to, every conversation you have in your business is a big red button that says buy me. If someone says to you at a barbecue in the future, uh, oh, right, you know, Sally was saying, would you like a glass of wine? Anyway, how do you know everyone? Or you're at a conference, you know, it's like a coffee. What do you do? That's a big red button that says buy me. And when you think about it, Julie, and I do think about this a lot because I like to do a lot of thinking. I'm obsessed with it. Apple, Google, everything on earth was one sentence that started that business. And it was a killer sentence, wasn't it? I, I, want, I want to talk about this big red button just in a different way for a second, because there's, there's two different kind of schools of influence I have found. The one is the awareness school of influence. You know, I'll just keep showing up, throwing things out there, more awareness, more people to be aware of me, more people to be aware of what I do, more people interested and aware of what I do. There's that school, which is more of a kind of a popularity-based school of influence, which is, you know, I have 50,000 million gazillion followers on Instagram. Isn't that amazing? And then there's the other school, which is when you've been in the industry for long enough and you see the amount of people that have 57,000 gazillion trillion followers on Instagram struggling just as hard as anybody else to get any single one of those people to take an action. And you realize that actually it's not the, this is not the popularity game and this is not the awareness game. That's not the game. The game is the action game. And so what have you learned about getting people to press that button? Uh, I say to people, it's this. So there are 20,000 people outside of your house right now, okay? Your house is on fire. Two of them have a hose. Only two people matter because they're your market. It doesn't matter if there are 20,000 people outside. Two people who have a fire hydrant hose are the only two people that matter in your business. And you have to target them. You have to know who they are. And it isn't about throwing, you know, your seeds into the field. It's about being really precise. It's about knowing your audience, so my audience, when my house is on fire, is those two people with a hose. Anyone have a hose? Us two. Brilliant. Over here. And that's it, really. It isn't about having 50,000 people outside your house with no hose. It's about being absolutely precise about who it is you want to hit and reverse engineering it. You know, who is it that I want to hit? How do I hit them? And that's what we do in telly. I did a show called The AFL Recruit for Fox 8. And they knew that the AFL audience would come to it because it's an AFL show. But that is not going to win us awards and get us a really, really successful show. We needed to attract other people. So we really thought about it. And we thought, how do we make sure we get kids? Well, we'll give it a really good set of values. And we'll make the characters really big characters. We'll make all of the challenges very easy to understand. The narrative very simple, which is, you know, see previous very difficult to make complicated simple, but we did it. And we wanted lots of women. So we ramped the storytelling right up and we had really hot guys and they were extraordinarily beautiful. 
you know, not that, you know, but we, you know, most, uh, well, not most women, but women who like guys. So we really ramped that up and we showed them as beautiful men because very often people are not really understanding their audience. It's a shot of two women you know, holding hands or something, you know, just in their underwear, laughing at something. You're going to get what are you thinking? Um, the last time we talked with, you know, everything that you built with Big Brother and and what an incredible experience that was just in terms of mastery of human attention. The fact that you could get more people to vote on, you know, on the finale of Big Brother than I think you said than in the, the British election. Uh, Britain's Got Talent. More young people voted for the winner of Britain's Got um, Talent than in the general election because it's not compulsory to vote. So, but let's, let's look at that for a second. You could get so many people to vote on the outcome of Big Brother, spend their own money to decide the fate of someone that they don't know where it makes zero difference to their life at all. And these are people that probably would not vote in the general election, not interested or engaged enough to vote. What did you learn about getting someone to pick up that phone, dial that number to do what on paper sounds like such a ridiculous thing? I learned two things. One, people would say, can you tell who's going to win? And at the very beginning, no. And then as it goes on, yes. And the people who won the shows that I made, and it was a very long time ago since I've made any of these, but it was people who were sincere. I'd say the reality shows that I used to make, and this was, you know, 20 years ago, they were sincerity contests. That's absolutely what they were. If you were sincerely angry, difficult, uh, obnoxious, charming, funny, if you were genuinely yourself, the audience loved you because you were honest. Authentic is the, you know, the awful version of it. But actually, you were just honest. You were just yourself. And audiences can feel that. And they are the people that will win. Uh, and we call it, we used to call it leakage. And I think it, that might be the psych term for it. I don't know. Certainly what we called it. And you can pretend to be someone else for maybe two weeks if you're really good. If you're not so good, it's probably two or three days. But then you start to leak. The real you starts to leak out. And that's why shows are often not wildly interesting at the beginning and then they kick off because everyone is pretending to be someone else and then you start to leak. You have to get people to care about the people. You've got to care about the outcome. You've got to care about these people. And everybody I put on a reality show, I loved them. You know, I'd meet them and I think you have something extraordinary about you. I don't know what it is sometimes, but you're really interesting and I really, really like you. And also the power of going off going off script. You know, years ago I made the decision, um, I used to get approached a lot about, you know, working with people on their presentations and CEOs and, you know, incredible, incredible people. And they say, okay, well, so you'll write me a script. And the first few times in my career I tried and, and then I was like, no. This is the worst way to get the best out of somebody. And I started just saying, no, look, I don't do scripts. I don't do scripts because I can tell you what will happen. Your emotional body will shut down. Your brain will kick in, but it'll only kick in in a way that it's 
completely petrified of getting the next word wrong, wrong and wondering whether it got the last word right. And every single ounce and essence of yourself will disappear. What you need is a, is a roadmap. What you need is, a, I, know, I know the five core points. I know the story that goes with each point. I know how I want to finish. And I've practiced the first couple of minutes of how I want to start to make sure that my Netflix trailer is right. And everything else should just be you. Everything else should just be you in your body, in your words. If you need a script, so I do a lot of the same thing. And um, I say to people, I can write you a script, but unless you're extraordinary, you'll find it very difficult to deliver it. So I, when I do talks, I don't have a script. I know, I say to people, it's like a journey. I'm not going to tell you, you know, put your right foot and then your left, then your right, then you pass that number three, then pass number five, pass number seven. What I'm going to say to you is go to the top, take a right, and then go to the pub, take a left, and then go to the green, take a right. That's all you need to know. You need to know how to get to that place, but you need to know the particulars. So you're absolutely right. And when you own the words, they're beautiful words. And when you go off piste, it's even better. And when I do media training with people, I say the most important thing isn't really how you say it. That's very important. It's what you're going to say. And it's losing the white noise and owning it and telling me the amazing stories. And when you have those stories, if you have three stories in your back pocket, you can speak about anything because you know you can't get it wrong ever. And when people say, you know, but what if I get it wrong? And I say, well, unless you've given the script to everyone in the audience, there is no wrong. And people on TV would say to me, oh, I'm just so worried I'm going to get it wrong. I said, but there is no wrong. There is no wrong. You're the expert. One of my favorite, one of my favorite storytellers on the planet, a guy called Tim Gard, he's a comedian in the States, beautiful friend of mine. He was the MC at my wedding and he has this saying and he says, you don't tell, he's one of the best storytellers I've ever met. You don't tell and retell a story. You live and relive a story. And that's the difference. That's, that's in the way that you tell it, right? You're not, t- a script is telling the story. Using your own language, your own words, and just having a basic roadmap of how you're going to get from A to B, that's living and reliving a story. And that's a whole other beast. It's the difference between telling a story in court just the facts, madam, just the facts, madam, or telling a story in the pub uh, when you've had a few gins. And my preference for everyone I ever media train is you're telling the story in the pub with a few gins in you. You're not telling it in court. with Just the facts, madam, because just the facts, it's not engaging my soul or my brain. My brain is not getting excited by it. But when you tell me a story and you can add any layer to the facts to give, you know, to make it a story. Just even the facts we said earlier, you know, when you were talking about, I've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. You said, well, name them and tell me what happened. Because when you do, you know, I could say I've made quite a few cooking shows and, you know, I really wasn't bad at them. But if I said, do you remember Ready, Steady, Cook, that show that was on at lunchtime and uh, every student, when they bunked off, they watched it. Well, we took it. Uh, yeah, and we doubled the figures. And the website hits went up by 600%. Now, that's a story rather than I've worked on uh, a lot of cooking shows with a degree of success, which is nothing. It's just noise. But when you give me, you take those black and white words and add a little bit of color, it sticks in the brain. And you put yourself there. I remember that show. Yeah, I remember that. And just in case you can't remember, I remind, reminded you that uh, when you were a student, 
that's when you used to watch it. Or, you know, if you bunked off work, you'd watch it. It was the guilty pleasure during the day. Do you remember that guilty pleasure? Yeah, well, we made that show and we doubled the figures. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And what I'm also saying to you is I'm a very safe pair of hands. I just want to change tack for a second as we're kind of coming to the close of our time together. And honestly, you and I, and (laughs) we both have and will and do spend hours talking about this stuff. For now, when I sent you, I sent you an email before we, we had this conversation again, I was just like, just, can you just scrap down for me some of the things you're thinking about right now? Because I wanted to see what you were thinking about in continuance of what we've talked about before. And one of the things that you wrote to me, and I've got it here in front of me, it said, police are solving crimes through podcasts. People on death row are being released from jail because of documentaries and songs. What is going on? And so I'm going to flip it at you. What what do you, what's your, I mean, we're all seeing this, right? We're all seeing this incredible democratization of information, of stories, of action, of traction that now belongs in the hands of the many as opposed to the belong, belonging to the hands of the few. What do you take from that? Like you look at that, what do you think and how do you extrapolate that out as to what it means a year, two years from now? So for every business, I would say this to you. The reason that we are solving crimes, uh, the police are solving crimes with podcasts and people are being released on death row is because we care. Someone very clever has made us care about these stories. That is it in a nutshell. If you can make people care about your business, your product, your staff, if you can make people care about you, if you can make your board care about you, if you can make the venture capitalists that you're going to care about you, care about your product, you will get whatever you want. So it is that thing I talked about with that TV show. What do you want to happen? We want to solve these crimes. Brilliant. Okay. How do we get people to help us do it? We've got to make them want to help us. How do we do that? We tell an amazing story. And then people will want to help because there's a buzz about it and people are talking about it. And uh, lovely Alison, my business partner, Alison Black, loveliest person on earth, she created a show with some other people called The Choir of Hard Knocks. It's uh, probably about 10 or 11 years old. And they did something very clever. They wanted people to care about people who were experiencing homelessness because actually we could stop anyone from sleeping on the streets tomorrow. And I don't think we talked about this before, but I had this idea for a scheme. And of course, I've been too busy to do it, but one day I will, which is you have a car, I have a car parked downstairs. Now I could leave a little key lock on my car. uh, And so if you're experiencing homelessness in the winter, uh, press these buttons and you can sleep in my car a bit worried about having you in my home because, you know, but you can sleep in my car and I'm going to leave a blanket down there and a hot water bottle and enough food for you tomorrow. And also, you know, some wet wipes and whatever it is that I think you need. And if you want to, you can leave everything you want in the boot of the car so you'd have to carry it around all day. Now, imagine if everyone who had a car did that. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? People wouldn't be sleeping on the streets. We can do it. We're not. So they created a show called The Choir of Hard Knocks. And the idea was, and it'll probably make me cry because I think it's such a beautiful story. Uh, They wanted people to care about people who are experiencing homelessness. How do you do it? You tell their stories. So they got together, uh, a guy called Jonathan, whose surname I can't remember, and he started a choir. And if you were homeless, you could come along and join the choir. And lots of people had drink problems and drug problems. And, you know, God bless them. Why wouldn't you, if you were living like that, uh, it would be very tough. So 
you know, who's to judge? And some days they'd turn up and some days they didn't. And when they didn't, you worried about them. And when they did, you felt triumph for them. It was so popular, Julie, that rather than having no finish line of just, you know, the choirs together and we've done 10 shows, thank you, good night. It was so popular, they decided they would put on an event at the Opera House. Now, they thought they'd sell five tickets. They sold out, speaker want to cry, three nights. They sold out three nights. And everybody was talking about these people who were homeless, who were sleeping in doorways, and they cared about them. And 10 years on, uh, there was an anniversary, and I was saying to Alison, you know, you must feel so proud that people are still talking about it. And she said, the day after the show aired, the government changed the policy on homelessness. They started the conversation. And you know who they spoke to? They spoke to the people on the show. They said, come and tell us what it's like. Come and tell us what it's like to be homeless. So you can either, as a business, stand on the corner saying, please buy my burgers, please buy my app, please buy my whatever, or you can make people care. And when you make people care, they'll take action. And it doesn't matter whether it's a reality show or helping the police solve a crime or giving money to homelessness uh, or changing government policy. And when content works really well, we say it does two things. It starts national conversations and it changes government policy. Big Brother changed government policy on social media. And I'm really pleased that that's the legacy of it, that you could, it was the Wild West. It stopped being the Wild West. And actually, you know, every time there is a reality show, we're all looking at how badly people are treated and we're all being a bit more careful about it. You know, I love that Big Brother in the UK had the first transgender winner. Wonderful. The first gay winner of a big show. A guy with Tourette's won it. A guy with Tourette's won it, voted by the public. You go, this is wonderful when we can show diversity and we can encourage people to care about people that they might not get to meet and care about. And everyone can do that. You can do it with amazing stories and amazing content. But the most important thing is you have to get me to care. You have to think differently. You have to lose white noise. You have to love your audience. And when you do that, it works. You know, I would usually, at the beginning of every podcast, I usually ask the same question because it's you and because I love you. I just jumped straight in and forgot (laughs) the question. I had so many other questions I wanted to ask you. So I'm going to finish with the question that I would usually start with. And the question I would usually start with is what's what's the idea and I know you love to think. What's the idea that's having the most influence on you right now? This oh, this is so, so hard for me because I think about, I think about thinking. So that's probably it. I, I think about different ways of thinking all the time. And my, I think my obsession at the moment is thinking 1% harder than everyone else. And the other thing I'm very interested in at the moment is helping everyone around me and helping, you know, other speakers and other trainers. And I think that's, I think it's really interesting at the moment that one of the other things that's come out of COVID is, you know, we keep saying we're all in it together, uh, which is a cliche, but I think everyone's success is everyone's success. And I think whilst we're in competition with each other, we want our industries to work and we want everyone to work. And I used to say in TV, it's great to be number one. You know, that feels very good because it shows that actually all our thinking paid off. 
But the fact that people are watching content is the most important thing because the whole industry keeps going and we all have a business and we can all be employed. And I think looking around and thinking, how can I help everyone I can help at the moment? Because at the moment, you know, anyone with a hose needs to put fires out. And if you have that hose, you need to help everyone with their fires. And uh, that would be the thing I'm really interested in at the moment is all bets are off and out of chaos comes incredible beauty because you're starting from scratch and we're starting from scratch in the way we work and the way we relate to each other. And two years ago, my friendships were important to me. Now they're vital. I can't tell you how much I love my friends. I love them more than two years ago. And it's because I haven't been able to see them. And all I want to do is my mother's 99. She's in the care home. I can't go and see her. All I want to do is hold my mother's hand. It's very simple. What would the thing be put on the wall? It would be hold my mother's hand. I want to feel that paper thin skin and a bony little hand in mine. And I want her to feel that her daughter is holding her hand just one more time. She's 99. Just one more time. That's all I want. And two years ago, did I appreciate that? Probably not. So I think out of chaos, uh, everyone is in a position to reposition themselves, rebuild themselves, look at everyone around them and think, how can I help you? And, and do it. Care. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for the deep thinking that you do. I mean, those people listening wouldn't know how many text messages I get from you. And also I send to you just with random thoughts. <laughs> You're a pleasure and a, and a font, a pleasure and a font in my life. So thank you for coming back on and sharing. Right back, right back at you. I have so much respect for you. And you know how I feel about content. I say to most people, don't do it. Because if you don't do it well, it's damaging. Uh, and your content is phenomenal. And it's not an accident when that happens. It's because you are a very, very, very deep thinker. And that is such a beautiful thing because there will be no cliches. Everything that you put out is meaty. And I love that. And also, by the way, you make me laugh my head off constantly, which I really love. Thank you. That would just be a reflection of the strangeness of my life. Well, thank you again, my love. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. 
You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.